Hello, hello. Welcome back, Leading Women in Tech. It is time for another episode. I am your career leadership bestie, Tony Collis. And today I am joined by the outstanding Helen Fanucci, who is a best selling author, but also, just like us, an, an engineer by training. <laughs> and today, Helen and I are going to be talking about what is wrong with the workplace for us as women, why it's not currently functioning, and more important than that, because we're all about solutions around here, what we can actually do about it. Helen is a best-selling author. As I mentioned, she has a great book. I would highly recommend going out and getting a copy of it. Link is in the show notes. But this is all about making sure that we as managers have that ability to thrive in a hybrid workplace, something that I think has really become top of mind since the beginning of covid and Helen's built her career and reputation around managing teams that are hybrid, managing teams that are responsible for billions of dollars of sales quota, in fact. And she has found a methodology over her 25-year career that allows such com- the companies that need these billion dollars of quota to really thrive. And she's sharing her words of wisdom today, but from the lens of what it means to be a woman, and particularly a woman who's trained as an engineer, and where the workplace is actually really letting us down. So without further ado, let's welcome Helen to the show. Welcome to the Leading Women in Tech podcast, the show that celebrates women in technology leadership. I'm your host, Tony Collis, and this podcast is the result of my passion for building better tech by diversifying the leadership of the technology sector. Join me on this journey as I discuss all things leadership, what it takes to be innovative, breaking through the glass ceiling, be a great leader, and how to navigate the unique experiences we face as women in tech. So sit back, grab your headphones, and get ready to be inspired to become a better leader. Hello, Helen. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you for having me. It's so delightful. I can't wait to dig into this. Since the moment I met you, I'm like, this is this is like an awesome story. So let's start, as I always love to start with, your personal career journey, in particular, how you went from being an MIT trained engineer to being a sales executive. And I love it if you can share with us the highlights, but also the lowlights, because I think the lowlights really help us understand how we can avoid those mistakes in, in our careers that other people have made. Yeah, that's a really great question. So I started out as a engineer working for IBM in Silicon Valley, and I was um, responsible for, it was an, actually a manufacturing engineer role. And in Silicon Valley, with all of the tech happening and startups, after a couple of years, I felt, gee, I would really like to be out with customers helping them use the technology rather than in the back room making it. Mm. And so I went to my boss and he had absolutely no idea (laughs) how to help me make that transition. Mm -hmm. And so one of the themes throughout my career is building my network. So I tapped into my network uh, and I found somebody um, that I knew through a completely non-work relationship who was actually working for IBM in the CAD-CAM computer-aided design, computer-aided manufacturing marketing team. So he Mm -hmm. helped navigate and introduce me to that organization. And I was able to transition into a marketing job. And then during that time, I went uh, through IBM sales training, which was a year and a half program at that time, and then got my first sales territory in Silicon Valley, selling to 
engineers selling to companies IBM's whole product line. And then from there, one thing led to another. And, you know, I've had a number of roles, both in marketing roles, sales operations, leading global briefing centers, sales quotas. So you, you name it. But a common theme has always been customer and field facing because mm. I have a passion for helping customers use the technology. So low lights. So when I took this marketing job, it was in Los Angeles and I was in San Jose, California. And I went down, looked for a place to live. And I came back and I was really troubled because I just thought, oh my goodness, I can't move to LA. And yet I had taken the job with the mm -hmm. understanding that I wouldn't move to LA. And a friend of mine, one of the best pieces of advice I've received, said, you know, you don't have to move to Los Angeles. So I took a deep breath. I called my boss and I said, you know, I just can't move. And I thought, what does that mean? Am I going to lose my job, be out on the street? I was in my early 20s. And to my great fortune, he said, okay, we'll figure out how you can work remotely and come down to Los Angeles, you know, once a month or a couple times a month. So he made it work and I'm forever grateful because I literally thought, oh my goodness, I've got, I've reneged on my commitment and the terms of the offer and he, he owes me nothing and he was, willing to make it work for me. So that was actually turned out to be a highlight. And it also turned out to be a lesson. Be true to yourself. You don't always know how it's going to feel when you step into something mm. new. And if it doesn't feel right, you know, you got to trust your gut and instinct. Yeah, 100%. I, I, I really love that story, actually, because you start off there with your boss appeared to be an impediment. Your boss didn't know how to help you in your career trajectory. And you right. did what I tell so many women to do, which is leverage your network. One, always be building your network, but two, then leverage it. And I love that. Listeners, if you're listening to this and thinking, my boss just, you know, I'm not getting what I need from them. It isn't your boss's career. It's your career. Your boss is one person. Even the best intentioned boss is limited in their knowledge base. A good boss finds other people to help you, but at some point you've got to own that. So I love that you've had that complete career pivot, but based on you going, I'm not getting what I need from my boss. I will go fix that for myself. Like I, I adore that. But I also love that piece of advice you got from your friend. You don't have to move. And again, I say this to so many people, make people fall in love with you and then negotiate what you need. <laughs> so, like, I'm like, don't put at the job interview stage or when you're trying to convince your boss to give you a promotion, don't say like, these are all my criteria. Because at that point, they're looking for a reason not to continue the conversation right. with you. Once they have decided they love you, that's the point to put down your cards. That's the point where you say, well, I love this idea, but I'm not moving. I did that. I refused to move to Spain. Landed the offer. I was like, I'm not moving to Spain. I've got a family in Scotland. I'm not moving. A couple of months later, they came back. We're like, oh, okay. You'll be our first remote employee and um, we'll pay for you to go to Spain once a month. Fabulous. But if I'd said that as a red line right at the beginning, I wouldn't have got the job. Sure. Absolutely. It's just so key. I just, I really love the fact that you seem to have demonstrated in your career turning lowlights into highlights. <laughs> I always think that our lowlights are our career opportunities. We just need to see them that way. And I love, love that you've done that. Tell me now, like, why are you now passionate about high-performing teams? Because I know that's your passion point. You've written a whole book about it. 
What is it that makes you excited about that high-performance team and figuring out how to do that? Yeah, that's a great question. So business is about delivering results and business outcomes, but it doesn't start and end there. The only way you can truly deliver high performance is by understanding and getting to know your team and what makes them tick and what success means to each individual on your team and helping them achieve it. And particularly now in a, if I could say, post-COVID world, even though I know COVID's still out there, employees' expectations have changed Mm. and they don't want to just go to work and be a work robot. They want a manager who understands that they have their own ambitions that are worthy of the manager's attention. So I've been doing this for about uh, 25 years, leading hybrid teams, remote and in the office. And I've always um, focused on my team and it's more important than ever to set really clear performance-based expectations and then have a process for engaging, checking, checkpointing, but really helping remove the friction in their job, whether it is sales friction, whether they're trying to get to a new executive and they need help figuring that out. And so the way I've constructed my book is 17 conversations that leaders need to master with their team. And I found that if you're not taking into account the ambitions of your team members and supporting them, then you actually can't maximize your performance. And so I felt like I had a positive message that would resonate, particularly as I was observing companies wanting to force their team to come back into the office and managers being nervous about, are my team members really working? Are they productive? You know, we've, Microsoft coined the phrase productivity paranoia because managers can't see their employees, but that's completely ineffective in my opinion because what my team members do on a day-to-day basis, I don't care. It's really about the longer term, the outcomes that they need Mm -hmm. to drive, whether it's sales outcomes, building pipeline, building stronger executive relationships, whatever, whatever the outcomes Mm -hmm. happen to be. I love that you've linked their performance with ambition. I think so many people don't, they see the performance conversations as something they need to do in order to retain top talent or because you know, if we promote this person, it's good for the company rather than flipping on its end, which is if I want the most out of this person, I need to care about their ambition. I need to make sure that we're giving them stuff that fulfills that ambition rather than I've got to do this because. So I I really love that linkage there, that just subtle shift in the conversation around why we care about an individual's ambition. I think it's beautiful. But I also thought it was interesting the way you're talking about the hybrid or remote worlds. I Even now, I am coaching executives who are uncomfortable managing remotely. They are remote. They see the benefits of it. They're enjoying the remoteness themselves. But every now and then, there'll be a conversation around the lines of, but this was so much easier in the office. And I'm like, no, that was lazy. <laughs> that was lazy management. You never actually knew your team were doing well. I've, I've had jobs where I coasted because I didn't like the job and I could look really damn busy in the office. Whereas you can appear completely absent when you're working remote because you're not answering emails because you're in deep work mode. Being presenteeism is not a 
not a good measure of productivity. So I love that like you are actively calling that out. And I really do think there is an element of this is all I know. And so this is the only way to do it rather than what are the other options? There are plenty of remote only companies out there pre-COVID. My company is one of them. My entire team is, Sure, I think we're across, we're across 12 time zones right now. I think we're across four, five country, five countries. And I'm like, it's awesome. I get to work with, um, they're all women. Actually, one man, my podcast editor, Brett, I appreciate you. <laughs> You're like, wait, hold on, you forgot me and I'm editing this podcast. <laughs> Brett's the one man working for me. <laughs> And he's amazing. Um, and I just, I get to work with these people all over the world. I think that is so worth learning how to build and manage remote teams. The benefit we get from that is extraordinary. Have you experienced that yourself? Have you managed to work with a team that you would never be able to do if it was in person? Well, most of my career has been remote teams. So this job, my team is scattered throughout the U.S. My last job, I had um, international employees. So by definition, it's not practical to all be in the office. Yeah. And so, yes, you have to figure out. And, you know, what it's really key to have outcome-based expectations. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to be financially oriented like sales quota. In fact, I don't, I have hard, what I call hard numbers-based outcome expectations, and I have soft. Mm. And the soft is as critical. And if you don't hold your team accountable to those expectations as well, then that's a problem. So as an example, I have sales leaders that lead a cross-functional team, and it could be up to 50 people working on a customer. And those individuals that are cross-functional matrix, they don't report to the team member. But if the team member can't demonstrate leadership skills, can't mobilize the team, can't delegate, those are skills and gaps that need to be addressed and coaching needs to happen. And ultimately, that can be a success or failure point. And it's not necessarily did they achieve quota or are they growing pipeline? It is, are they able to demonstrate the leadership skills that that particular role requires? So that's one example of soft uh, skills that is essential to the role. Mm-hmm. And it can be measured and evaluated. And so that's the manager's job to do that. Yeah. Oh, so key. So key. It's like actually measuring the right things. I think some of the time we measure the wrong thing and that's what we get hung up on. And then we realize that actually the wrong thing is not even giving us the results we want. But let's talk about the skills that you see as great leadership skills. What are these skills and why are they in high demand today? I mean, I'm kind of preempting it along the lines of hybrid and remote, but what are the key leadership skills that you think we need to see more of and why are they in high demand? Yeah. So as I mentioned earlier, employee expectations have changed and they want managers that understand who they are as whole people with families and ambitions, as well as employees want to work for companies that um, align to their values and purpose. Some people will boil it down to say a good culture. The skills that managers need to have and, um, you know, Gartner Group, if you're familiar with them, they're an analyst organization say that managers aren't prepared to mm. with these skills 
And so this also comes to where I think women really excel. So empathy, being able to put yourself in the shoes of another person and relate to them, building trust, it's foundational. And the first section of the conversations in my book are conversations of connection, because if you can't build trust and you don't have a relationship, you actually can't lead your team as effectively as is needed. And so transparency, caring, supporting your team, those kinds of skills are essential. And frankly, you as a leader are then demonstrating that capability and those skills with your team, but they're the same skills that you'd likely expect your team members to have with customers or with colleagues to Mm -hmm. work across the organization. So it's actually kind of a, a virtuous circle and you're living, walking the talk, if you will. So those kinds of capabilities are required and essential today. And managers who just focus on the business outcome and the business result actually end up putting pressure on their team members in a way that's not welcome and minimizes impact because it's kind of creating this fear or this tension which is actually counterproductive and does not maximize results. Mm, 100%. Oh, well, let's talk about empathy in particular, but in, in the skills that on average women are more likely to have. And I think empathy is one of those ones where there's a debate around it. But right now, demographically, women seem to be more likely to be empathetic than their male colleagues. There's a debate whether it's nature or nurture and whether therefore it will disappear as we eliminate some of the gender issues that we experience early in life. But that's another conversation. But if we are more likely to be highly empathetic or anything else, why aren't we not reaping the dividends? Why is the world not saying, hey, women, great, let me hire you. Let me promote you. Let me give you the senior management role. And yet the gender gap for senior leaders, especially in tech, is as high as it has ever been. And some people are saying it's getting worse. I think it's a bit early to say that but some people are saying it's getting worse post-COVID. What what would be your take on that? Yeah, so a couple things. One is women dropped out of the workforce during COVID dis- disproportionately yeah. to men. I think women comprised about 40% of the workforce, but about 55% of the people who left the workforce were women. So there are fewer women, and that happened at all different levels. The other thing are are women, the data shows that women are more likely to Mm over-function and get burnt out and feel like they need to do more than their male counterparts. Women um, have to prove themselves. And often, I mean, the data is that men are hired on potential, but women are hired and promoted based on the results and performance. So it's a higher standard. Mm -hmm. Women in leadership roles are more frequently confused to be lower level than they actually are. Yeah. Or, or people will say, yes, well, you only got there because you're a woman. So there's this different standard. Mm-hmm. So there's more headwinds that women face in work just flat out. And I was just, uh, at the airport and pulled up a Tom Peters book. I don't know if you know who Tom Peters is. Uh, he wrote In Search of Excellence that came out in 82. Mm-hmm. But he's talking about extreme humanism. And in this book, this is a little kind of compact guide to excellence. 
And he's talking about being human at work. And he's talking about there's a lot of statistics about why women make better leaders in this book. Studies from Harvard Business Review, McKinsey. And so there is a recognition, Mm -hmm. but it hasn't come into action yet in the workforce. Because I think we are, as women, are threatening to men. And I've experienced it. And frankly, one of the reasons I wrote my book is I was on the receiving end of not great leadership. And there's the cronyism, Mm -hmm. hiring your friends. So there's so much work to do. I don't have a, a magic bullet, but I do know for sure that the communication and connecting skills, which are more often attributed to women, actually are what the workplace needs. Oh, 100%. And it's, it breaks my heart. It's so unsurprising. It breaks my heart every time I hear another woman who's been on the receiving end of this cronyism. There's not enough room at the top for women. We're our own worst enemy with that. Men think there's no room at the top because it's going to push them out. And then one woman gets there and they're like, well, I can't let any other women up here with me. Um, and actually what we need to do as women is lift everybody up alongside us. The the interesting thing is now, you know, like there is there are these headwinds, as you put it, that's a good way of expressing it. I refer to it as a knife edge, this knife edge that as women we have to navigate. And listeners will have heard me say this many times. Men have a playing field to mess about on and develop their skills. We have this like narrow little knife edge. If we fall off that knife edge, our career tanks for a little while. We can recover, by the way, ladies. We can totally. Done that many times with women, help them through that. But there is a saving grace in that when we are navigating that knife edge well, we are extraordinary because we have to be. We are held to such a high standard that when we land that knife edge, everything around us is gold, which is one of the reasons I think that companies with diverse leadership do so well. But what I really want to see happening, I think it is beginning to happen, is that when we do that, other people around us, and in particular, I'm thinking men here, but even you know others who aren't you know, necessarily adhering to what we're learning, get lifted up as well, because there is this higher standard that the workplace suddenly sees. Whereas before, when you've got people just messing around on that playing field, there isn't that high standard. Have you seen that play out as well? Yeah, I have for sure. Because you look around and go, how did they ever get that job? And <laughs> right? um, I can, I, I'm thinking of specific names of people. <laughs> um, but yeah, it just is, you know, mind boggling. Mm-hmm. And then you see women who are just doing phenomenal get passed over for promotion, not even considered. And you just scratch your head. And so I think while there's a recognition, women need to be much more intentional about going places where they are appreciated Mm -hmm. and figuring out where the culture is conducive. So I've been in roles where, gosh, it was great. And then new leadership comes in and Mm. you're in the same job and then it really changes. Yeah. And... What I do is I navigate into a new role, a new organization, and I've learned over time that for me, this is probably not everyone's choice, but for me, culture and who I work with is far more important than the specifics of the job. Oh, I would 100% agree with that. I think the more that we vote for culture, the more we're going to change things. And I keep saying this, there are reasons why we need to stay 
We don't all have the ability to move. I think more of us got more freedom to move than we think we do. I think sometimes we really feel like we're handcuffed. Um, there are legitimate reasons to be handcuffed, but I think more of us have more freedom than we realize. And I think the more we vote with our feet, I'm not saying like chuck it all in and then find a new job. I'm saying like find a new role and quit. <laughs> yeah. And I think that is one of the fastest ways that we are going to change the business because I think when women get into leadership, we build better technology companies because of all the stuff we've just been talking about. That means those other technology companies are either going to have to change or they're going to die. Would you agree with that? Or have I taken that too far? No, I think so. The data is really clear that diverse teams, diverse, of, it doesn't just have to be gender diversity, no. diversity of thought uh, perform better. Diverse boards perform better. So absolutely, when you play that out, that means that some are going to be on a higher trajectory of performance and others not. And that will over time mean that companies that aren't on that higher performance trajectory mm -hmm. will get purchased, acquired, bought out, what have you. And one of the things that happened during COVID is with the virtual environment, it was kind of a level or equal playing field on video because we all have that same mm -hmm. size of a square. And I've heard the theory from some folks that are re researching the workplace that one of the reasons leaders want employees to come into the office is because the pecking order is more evident. The big corner office, oh, yeah. you know, the, the whole, um, ego, you know, on the boss Interesting. kind of thing. And I don't have data on that, but this individual actually looks at a lot of data and he's like, you know, I think there's something to that theory. I don't know. I'm just saying, but, uh, over time it will play out and you're right with virtual. You can work for any company in the world. It doesn't have to be the company in your community. Yeah, 100%. Oh, that is, that is fascinating. I can't wait to see that research, like whichever way it plays out, actually, because I do wonder how much of this, you know, we need to return to the office is legit and how much of his insecurities. Yes. Um, I think there are good reasons why some people want to return to the office. I've Most of my clients don't want to return to the office, but I do have clients who are like, no, I really just, I don't want to work remote anymore. And that's fine. And it's about them and where they get their value rather than about anyone else. Before we wrap this up, I really want to dig into how we can remove the obstacles that women are facing. We've talked about some of them already. Um, I want to talk a little bit about how as women, we can remove the obstacles for other people in our team. But I also want to know what else we, we can do here. Like, What do you see as the top things that we can be doing for ourselves and for others to remove the obstacles, particularly for other women? Yeah. So as a leader, you know, are you not only mentoring and coaching folks, but are you actually being an advocate for them? Because mm. mentoring is a much more passive, you know, less, uh, are you, are you putting your name on the line to really support and sponsor an individual? One of the things that I've done is I've had uh, job shadowing. I've had uh, folks on my team who express the ambition of getting promoted to kind of step in for me when I'm, you know, on vacation, on holiday. Uh, the other thing is find, continue to build a network and a pipeline of talent, particularly female talent. And I found that particularly large companies do not go to where the female talent is. They go to the Ivy League universities and various places like that. But there's a lot of really capable people and women who are in 
uh, you know, other places like maybe not Ivy League universities that are being overlooked. Mm-hmm. Um, I have some friends who are female leaders in tech and they've kind of connected me with different talent pools because they may be people of color or, you know, have gone to some of these universities. And so there's a lot of places and it's up to me as a leader to make sure that I'm seeking out places where diversity exists because they're not going to come to me. And again, this is all about building the network. And many companies have different policies at Microsoft. We're not currently hiring as I sit here in the end of January. Uh, we're not currently hiring just because of a lot of the um, you know, reductions and things like that that have plagued tech at the moment. But we have policies where you've got to have a slate of diverse candidates, not only gender diversity, but um, underrepresented minorities for for jobs. And it's not a check-the-box thing. They need to be legitimately qualified candidates to compete for the jobs. And so things like that, I think, will help over time. But it's not a quick fix. It's not. It breaks my heart. But hey, if it was a quick fix, I wouldn't have a job because there are enough people... <laughs> There are enough people working on this. Um, we've obviously got a distance to go. My, I would love it if my job is, becomes irrelevant before I'm done, before I'm ready to retire. I Sadly, I don't think that's going to be the case with the speed of change that we've experienced in the last 20 years. But onwards and upwards, as they say. Yes. What would be your number one piece of advice to a woman in tech considering her next leadership career move? Build your network. Find women leaders and reach out to them and ask, you know, if you can spend 15 minutes having a conversation, get to know them, ask them who they would recommend that you speak to, to further your ambition and, and seek their advice. So build your network. I have found very predominantly that women are open to having brief conversations and helping other women. Just last week, I was at a dinner event called Fempire, Female and Building Female Empires. Mm-hmm. It is through the partner channel organization. Well, it's through a, a company called Partner Tap, but they're being very intentional about shifting the flow of capital to women. They got so frustrated with so much of the, um, you know, business being transacted through male companies that there's now this kind of movement afoot of being very intentional about doing business with female business owners Mm. and uh, women who are representing tech companies. This is more more of a tech company thing, Mm -hmm. but I love that. And um, lucky for me, they gave away my book, which (laughs) is Love Your Team. And uh, so I was invited as a as a guest, and that was amazing. Oh, I love that. I actually love it when women are supporting women, whether that's in the workplace or I I also I try and work with female companies. So I've got a number of contractors working for me. And when I can, which is why I've got predominantly female team. Sorry, Brett, once again. <laughs> but, you know, it's Brett and Brianne uh, together do the podcast. But I, I really try and support female led businesses when I can, because I think there is just that additional barrier for us across everything we do. Um, we should move to the quick fire round. I love this and I don't want to skip it, but my goodness me, we could chat about this stuff all day. 
So are you ready for the quick fire round? Absolutely. Okay. My favorite question first, what is the worst piece of advice you've ever been given? Basically, sit down and shut up. Oh, it was <laughs> not said with those words, but it's like, just put your head down and get your job done and you'll be rewarded for that. It's, it's funny. Now that we're on video for this podcast, if you're listening and your favorite podcast player, don't forget, check us out on YouTube as well. You can get the link from my website, tonycollis.com. But I've just realized like the faces I pull when people tell me their worst piece of advice, I pull faces. I'm like, really? <laughs> this is 2023. I mean, I know that like this advice is years ago, but I'm like, really? Like we're still having these conversations. Yes, we are. What is the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Well, I have to say, you don't have to move to Los Angeles. Yes. That advice really was about trust. Do take care of yourself. Trust your, your instincts. It's going to work out. Figure out what you need and then go, you know, speak your truth and then go get it. Mm -hmm. I love that. I do love that. Absolutely. Speak your truth and go get it. What is the last book you read and would you recommend it? Mm. Well, I just picked it up at the airport. Yes, Tom <laughs> Peters, Excellence Now, Extreme Humanism. It's chock full of so many things that it, humanism, work is human. It's about people mm. as if this is, how could it be any other way? Mm -hmm. But there's so many anecdotes and there's studies about high performance being people driven because after all, it's not about the technology, really. Mm -hmm. It's about how do you make it work for people? And so it's a, it's fantastic. It's just bite sized. It's a very accessible and easy. So that's literally the last book I read. Oh, good. I've made a note that will go in the show notes. If anybody wants to find out what we're talking about, I've, I will put the details in the show notes for that one. Next, we're on to the mindset moment. At the end of every episode, everybody knows I love to give a mindset tip. What is your favorite mindset tip to help leaders? Have a growth mindset. We're not fixed. Be open to learning and growing and allow your team that space to do that mm. too. Mm. So when you're performance managing, if somebody isn't cutting it, it doesn't mean they're out the door. It means you've got to give them the opportunity to learn and grow as well. And I know that can be very, very hard for leaders, but having a growth mindset uh, makes all the difference in the world. Yeah, 100%. I think we don't talk about that enough on the show. I throw around the common growth mindset. I don't think people actually understand. If you are interested in a growth mindset, there's an amazing book by Carol Dweck. I cannot for the life of me remember what it's called. It might just be called Mindset. It's called Mindset. Right, okay, I'm like- It's I, phenomenal. <laughs> it's a phenomenal book. Um, she's a phenomenal psychologist. Go read that book, Carol Dweck. How can people connect with you and find out more, Helen? This has been such a good conversation. I'm sure people would want to find out more and more about your book as well. So my book is on Amazon, um, Love Your Team, A Survival Guide for Sales Managers in a Hybrid World. And I'm on LinkedIn. That's the best way to connect with me. Perfect. I will make sure a link to Helen's book and her LinkedIn profile are in the show notes. If you want to go connect, go and have a look at your show notes. This has been amazing. Any final thoughts you want to leave the audience with today? Have confidence. Just know you've got it and just have confidence and go get it. Beautiful, beautiful. Thank you once again, Helen, for sharing your story, for sharing your words of wisdom. It's been a powerful conversation. I am so grateful for having you on the show. 
Listeners, I hope you have found some little nuggets of wisdom for how you're both going to up-level your career, but also the career of those around you become an even better leader as a result. So remember, until next time, stay on your tech leadership game, follow your dreams, because the world really does need that uniqueness that you bring as a leading woman in tech.